the sermon today. Genesis part 50, we're in Genesis chapter 42 through 45. The title of the sermon today is The Emotional Roller Coaster of Forgiveness and Reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your kindness to us. And it's a privilege for us to open your word and for us to sit and to hear from you. And God, I I wish as I preached I could come and just sit down and just sit under your word and I just posture my own heart in such a way that just declares that my words have no authority here. And we don't come to gather to hear from me. We come to gather to hear from you. And that's what I need this morning. So God, right now I consciously just I'd put no trust in the sermon. And we collectively don't put trust in its structure or its form. We put trust in the fact that you have spoken. And we want to be changed by your word. As surely as your word created everything, as sure as your word created spiritual life within us, your word can change us today. It can bring awe today. You can help us. And God, we want to listen to you. And so help us open our ears Maybe this is first time in weeks. Maybe we've sat through a few sermons or read our quiet time and been in our Bible and it's just kind of felt like, eh, it may be today, again, in a new way, a fresh way, we're awakened to the glory of the speaking God. You've, smoked, you've spoken, communicated with us, so be, let us be changed, help us. Holy Spirit, I trust that you're going to lead. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, this morning we're going to cover chapters 42 through 45 in the life of Joseph. We were left somewhat with a cliffhanger a couple weeks ago, and this week we're going to cover a lot of ground. What I want to do is I give you the structure before I give you the intro. So I'm going to give you the structure first. We're going to look at three rounds, so to speak, um, of Joseph, Joseph's brothers, I mean, Joseph's brothers coming to Egypt and Joseph's brothers being sent back to Canaan. Joseph's brothers going back from Canaan to Egypt, round two, and then being sent back yet again, only to be stopped short, to be brought back to Egypt again for round three with the dealings of Joseph and his brothers. So we're going to have three rounds of conversation between Joseph and his brothers. And we're going to kind of follow the trajectory of Joseph here because he's going to start off with a lot of weeping and a lot of frustration, a lot of confusion on how to handle the situation. And then by the end, we're going to see that he reveals himself to his brothers. So three rounds. Then we're going to look at the big reveal and what we can glean from that. And then finally, we're going to end with four consideration slash application points. So that's kind of the structure, excuse me. Okay, weeping comes from many different factors. Crying can come when you're little from bumping your head, trying to get attention. For some reason, children, when they're young, if you had children that are now grown, when you remember, when they're younger, they have no coordination. Their head bumps into everything for some reason. No matter how much you tell them, hey, buddy, you got to watch where your head goes, it still it just bumps into everything. It finds anything it can to bump into. Tears come from pain. Tears come from, uh, tears come from emotional pain, uh, death, funerals, uh, diagnosis, uh, di- 
when people get diagnosed with illness, um, whatever that word is, diagnoses, whatever it is, um, pain can bring out emotion. Also, joy brings out emotion. When I was younger, uh, I was terrified of the show Unsolved Mysteries. I mean, absolutely terrified. My mom's sitting in the back. She can testify to this. My dad loved Unsolved Mysteries. I was terrified. Absolutely terrified. But every once in a while, there would be an episode that I enjoyed, and it was one of these long-lost family members episodes where after 30 years, before social media, before Facebook, um, and family reuniting things can happen a whole lot easier now with Facebook. You just, if you know the name, you just search and you eventually find. But in the Unsolved Mysteries days of the 1980s and 90s, um, you had to do a lot of research, go to public libraries. You had to, to inquire from different state records um, facilities, and, and you had to do a lot of research to be able to find family members, whether you adopted or whether you were estranged from the family you were young. But I love the Unsolved Mysteries where there would be a, a, a reuniting of family members, and there would be tears of joy. I mean, real tears of joy. But across the board, you find that whatever it is that brings weeping, these, these emotions, emotions can uh, move from emotion to emotionalism, and often we can become quite emotional, even as men. And we can find that those things that bring us that joy, that cause those tears, can all of a sudden become a roller coaster where we're just up and down. And if you've been there, uh, you realize that in one moment you can feel uh, manic, and the next moment you really can feel depressed. Whether that's a diagnosis that you deal with or not, you at least can, can, can recognize that there are times you're immensely happy, and then it could be a day later and you're just sad. Can't really explain it. Um, maybe it is directly related to pain, but um, the emotional roller coaster that comes from both joy and sorrow. Walking through a process of forgiving somebody who sinned against you is one of those situations that just brings, brings out a roller coaster of emotions. You're brought back to some painful situations. Um, and that process of moving from pain, anger to forgiveness, and then hopefully to reconciliation is just it comes with all sorts of of difficulties. And we see that, we're going to see that specifically in the life of Joseph in the story of uh, what happens in those 20 years um, from being sold into slavery and then getting to the point where he reveals himself to his brothers. The prophetic dreams that he dreamed all those years ago becoming a reality. His brothers coming to bow before him. His brothers being speechless when he reveals himself, but Joseph, time and time again, we're going to see three to four times where he just he weeps. He just cries. This man of God who just is weepy. It's too hard for him. He has to run out of the room. So we're going to see that. The roller coaster, emotional roller coaster of forgiveness and reconciliation. So Joseph's three rounds with his brothers. Round one starts in chapter 42. Due to the long section of Scripture that we're going to be covering, I'm going to, for brevity's sake, have to read and skip like I did last week around a little bit. But hopefully you'll get the gist of everything that's going on. Starting in chapter 42, we're going to read through 1 through verse 7a. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, which Joseph would be uh, excuse me, Benjamin would be Joseph's full brother, his only full brother. Rachel's two sons were Joseph and Benjamin. Continuing in verse 4. 
with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him, speaking of Benjamin. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was great, was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over all the land, and he was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. Now, it would be a shocking moment, to say the least, if you're Joseph, to finally see this happen. But the scene is set up, round one is set up, because, precisely because there was a famine in the promised land. Famine in the promised land. That's an interesting side note. Uh, they are in the land of Canaan, and the famine that was prophesied through Pharaoh's dream that Joseph interpreted had become a reality. They're now two years in, and... Uh, or excuse me, two years into the famine, which means it's seven years after the fact that uh, Joseph came into the service with Pharaoh. So now Joseph is approximately 37, 38 years old, depending upon the months, uh, which makes him 20 years removed from when he was sold into slavery. So we're looking at Joseph 17, sold to slavery, Joseph now 37. And that's where we're at. They're thrust into Egypt. They, gotta, they just simply need grain. And so they're sent with money, 10 of the brothers, to simply buy food. Go buy food in Egypt. Talk to whoever you have to talk to. Present yourself to whoever you have to present yourself to. Provide money to whoever you have to get money to. But don't come out without grain. We need, we need grain if we're going to survive. The promise of God has been given to us that this Messiah is going to come through us. So we know God's going to provide somehow. But we just got to get, get this. So we're going to go to Egypt to get grain. So they saw Joseph and they bowed to the ground and believe it or not, when God says something's going to happen, it does happen. The dream became a reality. Joseph saw his brothers 20 years removed. The dance begins. Joseph, not knowing how to process this, uh, we clearly see that he's not yet ready to forgive them at this point. It's not explicitly stated that he's holding anger in his heart. I think we can bring some things out from conjecture. The fact that the forgiveness process, the big reveal, takes several, several encounters with his brother before he's, he's at that point. He is so shocked to begin with, he begins to speak harshly with them. So what it says in verse 7, B, he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly with them. Where did you come from? It's interesting. Uh, this is his moment. I, I, I sympathize greatly with Joseph. I would speak roughly with them as well. I would be tempted to not just throw them in a pit. I would be tempted to get revenge. If you remember in the Count of Monte Cristo, the whole story is about him getting revenge because God has forgotten him. God won't bring me justice, so I've got to get justice. This is Joseph's opportunity like the Count of If he was Edmond Dantes, he would be sticking it to these guys big time. But he speaks roughly with them. I get that. He acts like they're strangers. He doesn't reveal the fact that, hey, I'm Joseph. Remember that dream? Hey, look. It's a reality. He's not ready for that. Like so many of us, when we encounter somebody we hadn't seen for a long time and they've hurt us, what's that first encounter like? Uh, uh, avoidance. You know? Like you see them at the store and you're like, oh, gosh. Like, you know, <laughs> whatever you can do to get away. Uh, because it brings back what? Pain. And especially if those wrongs have gone unacknowledged. We talked about that before. We'll talk a little bit about it more. Story goes on. Here's what he basically says. He accuses them of being spies in verse 9. And then what he says is, I'm going to hold you all in captivity. And what I'm going to do is send one of you back. And you're going to go get Benjamin. 
Your youngest brother, he didn't mention the name, he said, is your youngest brother, is all the brothers here? And they offered this information up. He says, you're going you're gonna to stay here until your younger brother comes here. So all of you are going to be in custody, and one of you will go and fetch your brother. He accuses them of being spies, and therefore having the authority that he has, he binds them and does, in fact, put them into custody for three days. There is a noticeable transition, though. In verse 18, hear this. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they said so. Joseph has a notable change of heart. Within these three days, he changes the script on them. And he says, instead of all of you staying here in custody and one person going, uh, tic-tac-toe or eeny meeny miny mo, Simon, you're staying. All the brothers, you're going. He lets one stay in custody and sends all the brothers and says, go back, bring the grain, and then come back. Okay, okay, basically, you stay, Benjamin can go. He connects the reason for the change in him to being a God-fearing man. Something happened with Joseph over those three days. His dealings with the Lord, or more importantly, God's dealings with him, brought him to a different place to where he was able to release the nine and keep the one and send them away. So apparently, God is at work through this process with Joseph. Uh, we've talked multiple occasions already over the last few, last few weeks that I think we would all say, even when Joseph got thrown into a pit, the very next word was, but God was with him. When, when Joseph got, got purchased or got, got thrown into jail, it says, and God was with him. And for all of us, the statement that I kind of presented is, wouldn't you rather be a prisoner in the Lord's presence than free and have God absent? And wouldn't you rather be in a jail cell or somebody's servant with God than being a person with servants in a wonderful home without God. So Joseph had experienced the presence of God. He had been walking with the Lord. And apparently God's dealings with him continued on. He's preparing him. He's doing something inside of him. And what ends up happening is the brothers speak some painful words. So the report goes out, I'm going to keep one, and the brothers begin talking. Even through the generosity that Joseph just gave them, the brothers begin to talk in their native tongue. And they don't know that Joseph, even though he's 20 years removed, they don't know it's his brother. Joseph being 20 years removed, he remembers enough of the language. There's an interpreter there to keep things in secret. Apparently Joseph got an interpreter to keep them in the dark. And they begin to talk and respond to Joseph saying, you guys go, leave one. And there's some painful words spoken. It cuts to his heart. It brings out deep, deep emotional and real pain. The strongest of people in this world feel emotional pain. This life is not about burying your emotions to where the point you're the stoic person who has no emotions. That is not the Christian faith. The Christian faith is not rooted in emotionalism either, but emotions play an important part of what it means to be a healthy Christian. And we see these emotions get pulled out of this godly Godly man. Look at verse 21 through 24. We're going to read this. That's what it says. Then they said to one another, the brothers, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. 
In that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy, but you didn't listen? So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. He turned away from them and he wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simon and bound him before their eyes. Joseph begins to hear this. And they remember back. And through their speaking, he is brought back to this pain. We referenced this verse a few weeks ago because we were not given privilege to understand or to know what Joseph was doing, how he was handling this whole thing when he was originally sold to the Ishmaelites. And this passage tells us that he was begging them. Brothers, we grew up together. How could you do this? Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. Don't do this to me. Please, I know my father loves me way more than he loves you. This is kind of indicative of probably why. But please don't do this. Don't sell me to the Ishmaelites. And he hears them talking about this. And here they're brought to this point where they're saying, and not to get his attention, they think that Joseph doesn't even hear them. And they're talking about the Lord is getting back at us. We remember what we did all those years ago. It hasn't left them for 20 years, this behavior that they walked in, this sin that they did. It's, it's lingered. This isn't the kind of sin that they committed and they didn't think about for 20 years. Stay with them. The cries of flesh and blood. Please don't do this. It lingers at night. Wounds from family. We've talked about this over and over and over again from the book of Genesis. A sting more than the wounds of a stranger. Joseph couldn't handle it. We get to see the first time that he just, he weeped. He just could not handle it. And he was not yet ready to say, hey, I'm Joseph. So he sends them away. Before he sends them away, he uh, puts a bunch of stuff in their bag. Verse 25, gave orders to fill their bag with grain to replace every man's money in his sack. They had brought money to buy grain. They had given their money to purchase this grain. And Joseph says, your money's not good here, basically. Gives the money back and gives the grain. They walk away with bags full of grain and full of money. This already is a symbol of grace. Next week, we're going to specifically look at Joseph's connection with Jesus and how he points us to Jesus. Through pain, suffering, Joseph is still blessing his brothers, sending them away with provision for the journey. It's just an incredible thing. He sends them, sends them home with money. In verse 28, we see that it freaks the brothers out. They thought they were done for. They looked in their bags and they say, oh my goodness, the money has been returned to us. This is in fact God getting us back. Joseph will not excuse this. He will think that somehow or another we fought somebody and got this money back and we are certainly doomed. This is not good. This is judgment from the Lord. And when they did get home to tell their father the whole story, it was, crown, it was, just, it was account, recounted in great detail. If we were to read the rest of the chapter, you could see that. The news came that they were instructed to bring the beloved Benjamin back to them. So Jacob already losing his beloved wife's one son. So remember, Jacob loved Rebekah. He was tricked into marrying, excuse me, Rachel, tricked into marrying Leah. Had more sons with Leah. Only two sons with Rachel. And one of the sons, the beloved Joseph, 
And his mind was torn to pieces. And now this powerful man in Egypt is coming, they're coming back with this report saying, yeah, your other son, the beloved woman, the wife, Rachel, you loved so much that your heart beat for. Just Now this man from Egypt wants Benjamin. Jacob couldn't hardly handle it. There's banter back and forth between Jacob and the boys. And in verse 38, explicitly we're told, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he's the only one left. We still see that Jacob deals with some favoritism here. Uh, Clearly, there was a connection with Jacob and Rachel that he did not have with Leah. And his boys sensed that. There was frustration to begin with about Joseph having the coat of many colors. And now this beloved Benjamin. How are the boys going to handle this? They didn't handle it too well with Joseph. Has there been a change of heart in the brothers? We'll see. But Jacob said, nope, you're not going back. So for now, they're going to have to sit and wait. Joseph is going to have to wait. We don't know how long. We're just told after some time, which is how the next chapter starts. Now, the famine, excuse me, the next chapter after that starts, but now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had bought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again, buy us a little food. Round two, round two, back to Egypt. Here's what happens in verses one through 10 of chapter 43. Uh, Judah from whom the lion of the tribe of Judah would come, Judah apparently steps up as being the spokesman of the brothers. Before, in the chapter before, Reuben had stepped up, the oldest, and he had said, hey, uh, we'll bring back the boy, Dad. We'll bring him back, and if, if, if Benjamin doesn't come back with us, then you can have my two sons. So Jacob, you can have two of your grandsons as your own sons. Jacob didn't like that, and he said, no, the boy's staying. Benjamin's staying. I don't... Care about that? Benjamin's staying. Well, this chapter, Judah steps up and begins to be the spokesman. And he says, we cannot go, Father. Let me repeat, we cannot go, Dad, unless Benjamin comes with us. That man will not hear us if we do not have Benjamin. I don't know why. It's confusing. But apparently, he wants to see our youngest brother. Jacob tells him to go back to get more grain. The dialogue goes back and forth from verses 3 to 10. We can't go back without Benjamin. And then Judah offers himself up in exchange for Benjamin. We're going to see these connections here in a little bit. The valiant Judah. Where was he before? We don't know the details fully of Judah's life. But in this situation, listen to what he says in verse 9. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. Father, if we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. He's saying, we will come back, but I will be in his stead. If something happens to Benjamin, the blame will be on me forever. See the honor of Judah, willing to be a substitute for his brother. This is truly, truly the great, great, great grandpa of the lion of the tribe of Judah. We see roots of substitution like we've seen through the whole book of Genesis here in Genesis chapter 43. The story goes on. Jacob says, if it must be so, then okay. The name that we see for Jacob in these passages, in these verses is Israel. He agrees. 
But bring with you, if you're going to go, bring some pistachios, because you know this, everybody loves pistachios, and they're so expensive. Even at Aldi, it's like $7.99 a pack for like 14 pistachios. So bring some pistachios. Joseph would love those. Okay? And the amazing thing about pistachios, as a side note, you know when you're eating sunflower seeds, you get the bundle, you, know, you get the little green pack, 50-cent packs, and you go through it. You get to the bottom of it, and there's like 10 bad ones, and you just get that, and you're just praying, like, God, let me end on three or four good ones. So I don't have this terrible taste in my mouth of the bad sunflower seeds. With pistachios, there's never a bad one. I don't know how that happens, but they're always good. You just eat them, even the ones that look a little brown, you pop them in there, they're good. So Jacob's like, man, bring pistachios, bring some more money. All the money that was brought back, bring that back, but then bring more money for the good grain. we got to have more, more, more. Bring more, which is understandable. He is wanting to make it as easy as possible for this man Joseph to bring back the son Benjamin, to release Benjamin to go after he's brought to Egypt. And so he says this, Please, please bring all that. He agrees and he presents all of that. And they head back for round two in the dealings of Joseph and his brothers with Benjamin to stand before Joseph. In verse 16 to 34, we get the account of round two. Starting in verse 16. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make it ready for the men are to dine, dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph had told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. The men were afraid because of the money which had been replaced in our sacks the first time. Afraid, excuse me, of the, because they were brought to Joseph's house and they said it's because of the money which was replaced in the sacks the first time. We're about to be brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us and make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house. And they said, oh my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging, we, placed, uh, we, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of it. And we have brought back other money down with us to buy food. We do not now know who put money in our sacks. And he replied, peace to you. Don't be afraid. Okay, hold on. Those words. How comforting are those words? Peace to you. Don't be afraid. Friends, this is good news of the gospel as well. Spoken through a pagan servant. Hey, the truth, when we're confronted with our sin, we sing in week out, hey, peace to you. Peace to you. The peace of God rests upon you. I'm sure it was comforting, comforting words for them. Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you, and I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when they had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. Continuing on. When Joseph came home, they brought to the house... Uh, to him the present they had with them and bowed down to him on the ground. And he inquired about the welfare, about their welfare, and he said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? Because I forgot to state this before he had asked about his father Jacob, found out he was alive. Well, it had been some time, he wants to still know, is the father, their father alive? They said, Your servant, verse 28, our father is well, he is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin. 
his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. And then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. He entered in his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out controlling himself. He said, Serve the food. Joseph sees Benjamin coming. It's almost like Luke 15 where he says, just go prepare the fattened calf. My son who is lost is now found. He has come home. He sees his brother. He's like, spare no expense. Put food on the table. Prepare a feast. The, the brothers are seeing this happen and they're thinking, we're done for. Joseph wants us to come over. We know what happened. We know what he think we did to him. He's going to abuse us. He's going to abuse us in his own home. He's going to get back at us. Joseph shows up and immediately he asks about the men's father. If I was the brothers, I'd be thinking, why are you so concerned with my family? Why do you care about my dad? Why do you care about our little brother? But Joseph was in fact alive and well. And they turned his attention to, only, to his only full brother. This is Joseph. He turned his attention to his only full brother and he was overtaken with emotions. So much so, imagine the scene, that he sees his brother, he talks to him, and he's just overwhelmed. Like, you have the same mother as me. The same father, my only full brother. I haven't seen you in years. And he begins to weep and he doesn't want anybody in here not want, you to, not want to see anybody else see you weep. Some are like that, you know. There are some that don't care. That's full-on ugly cry whenever they can. They just don't care. It's not a shame. And others are like. <clears throat> Joseph runs out of the room weeping. This is my brother. Weeping. He would compose himself and finally everyone would eat and they would end up having a kind of a nightcap, and they had a lot too much to drink. The last verse, we'll leave it at that. It does not condone this behavior, but it is a reality. They drank a lot and laughed a lot after eating a lot. There was a brother reunion, even though the reveal wasn't there. They probably still were wondering, what is this man Joseph doing, spending time with us, the powerful second in command to Pharaoh? Can you imagine their thoughts? Like, are we really free to eat and drink? Are we free to drink in his presence? They have a good time and they were merry with him. But yet, there's a test. They're going to be sent back to Canaan. And Joseph wants to know has there been a change in the brothers? How can I deal with this? You see, the roller coaster continues. We see tears coming. We see joy present as he spends time with his brothers without telling them that he is, in fact, Joseph. But he sends them back to Canaan. In verses 1 through 5, there's a test. He sends the brother away, brothers away with supplies. And he intentionally puts his personal cup in, in Benjamin's bag. So he fi finds Benjamin's bag and he takes his cup and he intentionally goes and he puts it in the bag and he sends them away. And then, right after he sends them away, he sends them, they're just a short distance away, he sends a group of people to go and get them and to bring them back. And so they do. They go get him and they bring him back. And now, here we are. They're busted in verses 6 to 17 in their mind. 
And they're thinking, we're finally done for. And they were accused. And Joseph, Judah said to them, Judah said to them, to Joseph, far be it from your servants to do such a thing. We didn't intentionally steal anything from you, Joseph. And he says, death to the one who stole the cup. And unfortunately, as the drama that only the scriptures can bring, you wonder where TV and movie drama, the storylines of the scriptures are so, more, so much more rich and full. All the stories that we see out there, they just steal from the scriptures. The realities that God has woven into the universe. Benjamin is the one. Death to Benjamin. Now what are the brothers thinking? Are you kidding? Benjamin! Come on! That's what I would be thinking. They're brought back. It's going to be round three with Joseph. Joseph and his brothers. The saga continues. Look at verses 14 through 18 in chapter 44. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground, and Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we do, my lord? What shall we speak, or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my lord's servants, both we and he also whose hand the cup has been found, but he said, far be it for me that I should do so. This is Joseph's benevolence. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. They think they are doomed. What would the brothers do in this situation? Before the brothers with Rachel's son, had an opportunity to get rid of their brother, Joseph, and they did. Here begins, presents themselves, they're presented with an opportunity to get rid of the other beloved son. It got, brought great pain to their father the first time. They could certainly do it again. They knew it would be the death of Jacob. They knew what their father's will was, and this was their opportunity to get away clean and leave only Benjamin. What would the brothers do? Have they changed? Well, something remarkable happens in verses 18 to 34. Let's just read it. Let's just read it. Then Judah went up to him and said, O oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears. And let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a younger brother, the child of his old age. Old age. Remember this, his brother is dead. Speaking of Joseph, his brother is dead, and he alone is left to his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me, that I might set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told the words that my Lord told him the words that you had spoken. When your father said, go again, buy us little food, we said, we cannot go down again if our youngest brother goes with, unless our youngest brother goes with us. Then we will go down, for we cannot see the man's face unless our younger brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, 
you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one from me also, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs even to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I came to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then his life is bound up in the boy's life. As soon as he sees the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety. Speaking of himself, Judah is now the spokesperson. Pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame forever before my father as a, all my life. Now therefore, please, let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Judah dares to speak with this powerful man, Joseph. Dares to speak. And when word comes down, the judgment that Joseph gave, he stepped up and began to speak. Tells the whole story. Gives Joseph insight to the pain that his father felt with the absence of Joseph. Again, emotional roller coaster. In verse 20, he tells the father losing one son, he said he's already dead, the pain that that's brought explicitly for the first time, saying they believe that he was dead. In verse 27, we see the father is still hurting from, the Joseph, from Joseph being torn to pieces. Because of the father's will, listen, listen what Judah does, because of his father's will, he must stay in the stead of Benjamin. Three rounds are over. The end of the third round. Apparently, the brothers have changed. At least Judah has. And they're willing to care for the emotional state and well-being of their father. And they're not willing to let Benjamin stay. Joseph, apparently, cannot handle it anymore. Can't take it anymore. Look at verse 1 through 3 of 49, or 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, so loud that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph! Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed. At his presence. Joseph, we find, is weeping yet again. He sends everyone away. The Egyptians, Pharaoh's house, were probably wondering what in the world is going on. Joseph, get a hold of yourself. Have you seen Joseph? He's just a train wreck. What's happening to him? These guys are making just all sorts of tears and crazy behavior come out of him. Get a hold of yourself, Joseph, probably, was what they were thinking. Cried so loud that people in the other room. Now keep in mind, when you have a big building in Pharaoh's court, the rooms are not made of drywall or plaster. Huge stone walls and they can hear him cry from the other room. This is loud weeping. This is the moment in Unsolved Mysteries where the person gets out of the car and says, I'm your long lost. I am Joseph. He is so disoriented in this reveal, 
He is so disoriented that he asks something that he just asked. Is my father alive? We see still in this state of emotional turmoil as he's revealing himself, he asks this repeated question, is my father still alive? He just asked that question and he got the information that he was well. He asks it again. So he is overwhelmed and his brothers we see are absolutely speechless. They say nothing. Can you imagine the scene? If it was on big screen, this moment, the big reveal, and they can say nothing. It says it clearly. It says, they, his brothers, could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Oh my gosh. This is my brother, Joseph. That was true. Those dreams, you're not dead. Those thoughts, they're thinking, my father's going to be thrilled. I can't believe we did this. They couldn't even vocalize all that was inside of them. And then we see beautiful reconciliation. Friends, this is a reality that can happen in this life. It may not ever happen fully in this life for you, but it can be a reality. And if not in this life, for the next, for those who are our family members. Unfortunately, even in the body of Christ. There is forgiveness, but reconciliation is yet to happen. And one day it will. We see a picture of reconciliation here on this earth in the present, right in verses 4 through 9. Look at this. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near me, please. And they came near and he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold to Egypt. And now these amazing words, do not be distressed or angry with yourself. Because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve life for you, a remnant on the earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. Reconciliation is so beautiful. We're going to explore this in greater detail next week. In verse 5, Joseph does not want his brothers to feel condemned. He wants, wants them to be comforted by appealing to the sovereignty of God. It is such an amazing statement. We see where God has brought Joseph in this big reveal where he's finally ready to tell them. And we say, he says to them, don't feel angry with yourselves. Where we would, I think many of us anyways, want them to say, we want to see you have sorrow upon sorrow to the point that I really believe that you're repentant. I want to withhold forgiveness until I see that you've, you've got just enough pain for knowing what you've done for me. And then if you have just enough, if I see and witness just enough pain and just enough sorrow, then I'll give a stamp of approval that it was genuine enough and I'll forgive you. No, they're voiceless. They're not able to express any sorrow at all. And he says, I don't want you to be angry with yourselves or distressed. It's an amazing picture of reconciliation. Verse 7, God sent me here to preserve you and take care of you. Judah, after all, would be preserved by Joseph. Joseph, 
Judah preserved by Joseph. Now, this is interesting because Jesus would come from Judah and Joseph was sending, God was sending Judah to provide for the promises to continue through Judah. God was providing for Judah. God was providing for us. And then verse 9, he says, hurry, go get my father. Now, I want to have four considerations and these considerations are also the application points. The Holy Spirit applies. I don't need to here. The Holy Spirit puts it on a way bottom or shelf than I can. So you guys figure it out. Four considerations. One, character development is a process. Two, forgiveness is possible. Three, reconciliation is better. And four, this is all about Jesus. So first, character development is a process. Just because we know that God is sovereign and that he is shaping us, it does not mean that we learn everything immediately or that character, for that matter, develops immediately. How many of you are godlier men and women now that you're older than you were when you were younger? What has God brought you through to get there? A lot. Okay, this is what God does. He shapes us and forges us through difficulty. We talked about that last week. We see that in the life of Joseph, the process that was required to bring Joseph to the place where he could actually reveal himself to his brothers, that big reveal, for God to do that, and it didn't happen in chapter 42, it happened in chapter 45, God had brought him all. There were still things that needed to be done in Joseph from chapters 42 to chapter 45. Chapter 45, Joseph is a, a different man than he was in chapter 42. Joseph not ready to reveal himself. And then in, in 45, Joseph ready to reveal himself. We see this process because character development is a process. Where are you? You're in process. Two, forgiveness is possible. If anyone has ever had a right to hold a grudge, I would think it would be Joseph. Yet the story shows us that even if it takes time, forgiveness is possible. And for those who are working through that, it can happen. Okay? When Joseph understood the work of the Lord, because this connection was made in chapter 45, when he, con when he connected the dots that, oh wait, this was God doing this. When Joseph understood the work of the Lord, he was able to let go of his grip of the past. So he connected these dots. Wait a minute. There's some things that there's God was at work here. Likewise, when we understand the work of God and the cross of Christ, when we understand what we have been forgiven of, when we understand God's providential care over us, that he has not been an absent agent in you being sinned against. He's not been a bystander saying, shucks. That's really difficult. When we understand that he is shaping us through everything, we understand that life is not random. We have power through the Holy Spirit to forgive those who have sinned against us. Again, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to apply these to your heart. Three, reconciliation is better. Reconciliation is a step further than forgiveness. Uh, you can forgive somebody but not be reconciled to them. Re reconciliation requires repentance from the party who committed the wrong. Reconciliation requires repentance from the party who committed the wrong. Wrongs unacknowledged. Wrongs that go unacknowledged are the barriers to reconciliation. Doesn't mean we don't forgive them, but wrongs from the party who sinned against you that are unacknowledged will always be a barrier to reconciliation. You are still, we are still responsible to forgive, but reconciliation cannot happen until wrongs are acknowledged. And it inflicts deep pain when wrongs go unacknowledged. We're still required to forgive, but reconciliation cannot happen until the, the party who committed the wrong uh, admits it and repents. But 
when, like Joseph's brothers, sins are owned because they began to say, this is coming upon us because we did this, and the wronged party forgives, Joseph forgiving, reconciliation happens. And it's beautiful. Fourth, this is all about Jesus. When we consider the substitution of Judah and the reconciliation of the brothers, we can't help but think of the work of Christ. We just can't. This is how the book of Genesis has been. It's just been a big book about Jesus. Chapter by chapter, page by page, verse by verse. The roots of the lion, our lion, Aslan, the king, Jesus Christ, go back to this man Judah, who's willing for the sake of his father's will to give his very life for the sake of his sinful brother. Remarkable. And before we see Christ in Joseph next week, I want you to see Christ in Judah. And it is no irony here that this was the one in whom Christ would come through. This is the promised, where the promised one would come through, the line of Judah, Jesus, the line of the tribe of Judah. So before we see Christ in Joseph next week, which is what we will specifically look at, we need to see Christ in Judah. So that's the cliffhanger. The cliffhanger is, come next week and let's see the beauty of Joseph, God pointing us to Jesus through the life of Joseph. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, uh, for your word, how clear it is, uh, in so many ways how simple it is, and then in so many ways how profound that simplicity is. Uh, we just try to confuse things all the time. And it's like, oh, it's, yeah, deep, deep, deep. Yeah, but the simplest things are just they're there for us. And those are also the most profound things. The simple things like substitution. Jesus dying in the place of sinners. And the only way for sinners to be made right with God was the fact that Jesus, the beloved Son, was sent to go get brothers, sinful brothers, and to stand in their stead receiving an eternal punishment in their place that they may go free. He willingly came to do the Father's will. And God, we want to recognize that. All these things that you're doing in our heart, God, I pray you'd work reconciliation in us, work forgiveness, help us to see that character is forged over a lifetime and lifetimes filled with many moments and sometimes our life is an emotional roller coaster. So just, Holy Spirit, take all those words that were spoken from your word and bring clarity to our hearts right now. Help us to sing, to repent, to change, to have joy here in this room as we sing to you. Jesus, it's your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship. Of Jesus.